you may be sitting here thinking, well, we're empty nesters. We're watching our kids raise kids. Or you may be here and you're like, I'm not even married. So this family thing, I don't, I don't really get it. Like I'm a grown up. I don't even live with my parents anymore. So let's just for to kind of level the playing field, let's call family those who you love and those who love you back. You've all got some kind of circle around you, whether it's coworkers or friends or kids or your spouse, where there's a relationship there. And in that relationship, hopefully we've got chances to love each other in a Christ-like way. That's really what today is going to be all about. Now, in those relationships with the various humans you interact with, because there's people involved, there's going to be situations where you find yourself saying, well, that wasn't fair. That really wasn't cool of them. Like, man, don't they know that hurts my feelings? There's situations where you're like, man, I've got to settle the score. I've got to make things right. I've got to fix this. They owe me an apology. That wasn't right. And if you've ever been there or if you're in the middle of one of those difficult situations right now, today's message is for you because inevitably in a relationship with people who aren't perfect, every relationship is going to fall just shy of that perfect mark as well. And depending where you are in that relationship, you may be long past that uh, honeymoon phase and, and the real life has kind of set in. So I want you to think about the last time where you're like, that wasn't cool. That wasn't fair. I got the bad end of that deal. I, I recently have been living through one of the bad ends of those deals because I'm the type of guy that I'm like an optimist and I believe everyone wants what's best for everybody, right? Like I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Even car dealers, I think, surely they just want to help me make a good purchase here, right? So this summer, I was uh, talking to this guy, and it sounded like he was going to cut me a good deal. And last time I bought a used car was about, you know, seven years ago. And right when I got past the mileage was when I needed to use the warranty. So I'm like, surely this guy's an honest guy. No need to purchase a warranty on this one. So I signed a piece of paper that said, taking it as is, just to find out two weeks into owning that car, the air conditioner died, like straight up died. He cut me a good deal on that car because I think he knew what was going to happen. That wasn't very cool of him, and I wanted to make things right, but I had no power because I signed an agreement. So I want you to think about the last time where you're like, ah, this was a bad deal. This was not cool. This wasn't fair. That terminology, to cut someone a deal, is actually a modern-day English version of an expression that we get from the way ancient Middle Eastern kings would form political alliances and write treaties together. It's actually a real translation from a term to cut a covenant. So here's what it means to cut a covenant. This happens all throughout the Old Testament scripture. It's a very common practice among Middle Eastern tribal leaders. If they wanted to form some sort of a political alliance or marry a king's daughter to another uh, king's son, what they would do is they would call this a, a, to cut a covenant ceremony where they would dig a little ditch and they would take an animal that would normally be reserved for some sort of religious ceremonial sacrifice and they would literally cut the animal into pieces and put one half on this side of the ditch, one half on the other. A little bit, little bit brutal here. And they would let the blood drain into this little ditch that they dug. And then both kings would walk between the pieces, saying that if I violate my end of this covenant or this treaty, you can do to me what we just did to this animal. You've got to be all in. Basically what saying is, my life is now in the hands of my son. And if my son cheats on 
your daughter, you get to cut me up like this animal, vice versa. So it wasn't just for marriages, it would also be for like land arrangements. If, if a Middle Eastern king had a bunch of vassals and lords that were trying to figure out who's going to farm which parts of their territory, they would cut a covenant ceremony and say, I'm the king, but I'm in on this too. If I go back on my word, I get to get cut up. But if you go back on your word, you get to get cut up. That's how they would cut a covenant. It wasn't a contract where there were exit strategies. See, when we sign contracts on things today, all it really is doing is just this way of like offsetting liability and offsetting responsibility. If you don't do these things, then I get to pull the ripcord and eject, right? That's what most of contracts are. The closest thing we get to a covenant is what we sign when we're like moving into a neighborhood and there's an HOA covenant where it's like, I will keep my shrubs nice and pretty and the palette of paint. Like, I'm going to keep it in alignment with all the colors we've agreed on. That's the closest thing we have to a covenant. It's not really something that results in murder if you paint your house the wrong way, right? That's the covenant for an HOA. Covenants back in the day was an all-in commitment. God of the Old Testament, who would take the form of Jesus and die on the cross for our sins, is a God of covenants, not a God of contracts. And he wrote four covenants throughout the Old Testament with his people. That was basically him saying, I'm going to be all in on this relationship, on this family, on this people that we're forming up, God and the Hebrew nation, his people. He was going to be all in. The first covenant was with the covenant of Noah when he flooded the earth and preserved a family, had a rainbow in the sky and said, never going to do that again. Then the one we're going to study today is a covenant with a man named Abraham. We're going to study what that ceremony looked like here in a moment. He had another covenant that he issued through Moses and writing the law, the Ten Commandments, and giving us the first five books of the Old Testament that Moses basically gave as the constitution for the nation of Israel and how they're supposed to exist in a covenant with God. And then he renewed that covenant through David, a king that would come about thousand years later, and his covenant to David is that his throne would be established forever with his house, the house of Judah, because Jesus would eventually be born into the house of Judah to Mary and Joseph. So that's the four covenants of the Old Testament. And what you're going to see is these covenants had no backup plan. There is no contingency. You're all in when you're forging a covenant with somebody. This isn't just a deal. This is a lifelong agreement. And so let me set the stage for you in Genesis chapter 15 with the second covenant between God and his people. God has been telling Abraham, I'm going to do something big through your family. I'm going to turn your family into a nation, and then every family on earth is going to get a chance to be blessed because of you. This was the nation of God that was forming, the Hebrew people, the Israelites. And in this moment, he wanted to perform a covenant ceremony with Abraham. So God tells Abraham, get some animals, cut them up, put them on the side of the ditch. We're going to do this. A lot of pressure, right? He's not just making a political alliance with a human. This is a deal he's making with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of the universe, who just spoke and everything happened. And here's how the ceremony went down in Genesis chapter 15. When the sun had set, and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land. And then you see a bunch of Middle Eastern terms that I'm not going to try to butcher in front of you, but that's basically that Middle East area, the land of Canaan, Israel, Palestine. He's saying that's going to be your territory one day. Here's the covenant that I'm making. 
God appeared in the form of a smoking pot and a flaming torch. This is a very strange moment. It's okay to recognize that things are really weird in the Bible, like cutting up animals and walking in the blood. That's a strange thing, historically speaking. So, notice what didn't happen. Abram never walked through the pieces. God shows up in the form of a smoking pot and a flaming torch, very much like what he would do when he was guiding the Israelites when they're escaping Egypt through the wilderness. He was a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. Often the presence of God is symbolized by a, cl- by a smoke or a flame. So he does both of these in this moment. The smoking pot and the flaming torch pass between the pieces, but Abram doesn't. This wasn't Abram getting cold feet. God actually didn't let Abram go through the pieces. God is basically saying to Abram, I know I'm going to cut you a deal here, and I know you're not going to be able to uphold your end of this covenant. So even when you mess up, I'll be the one that takes the fall for your mistakes and (laughs) the mistakes of your descendants. This is a bit of a movie trailer for what Jesus would do on the cross one day when he took the fall for our mistake. See, by God establishing this covenant with Abraham, he's saying, look, I'm all in, even when you're not going to be. I'm going to love you even when you're going to rebel against me. I've got your people's back even when they turn their back on me. This is covenant love. And, and, And covenant love, it means I do, even if you don't. Covenant love means I will, even if you won't. See, as a pastor, I get to stand in front of brides and grooms a few times a year and walk them through these, these covenant commitments. They're reminding a husband in a Christian marriage, you're not just making a commitment to one another. You're making a commitment to the Lord as well to love in a way that reflects him. And in this covenant, there is no ejection seat. In this covenant, I'm not just loving you when you're lovable. I'm loving you when you don't deserve it. I'm forgiving you when you're not even asking for it. I am for you even when you are against me. I'm all in. There is no rescue plan. There is no backup plan. A covenant love means I'm going to love you like Jesus, and Jesus has never withheld anything from me, even his own life he gave to me. So as people of this covenant, following a creator of this covenant, who withholds nothing from his people, we are supposed to withhold nothing from those that we love. Because the ultimate covenant was the one that was made the day on the cross when Jesus died for our sins, fulfilling the commitment that God made to Abraham that day thousands of years before. Even when you inevitably don't, I still do. I will do whatever it takes to maintain a relationship with you. That's a tall order. Most of us feel like I will love you when you're meeting my expectations. I will love you when you're not being so rude. I will love you when you're loving me. But that's not a reflection of the way God loves us. So as people of the covenant, I think we need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, man, is there, are there relationships in my life <laughs> that are not adequately reflecting the love of Christ. The people that I love and those who love me, 
Am I going all out in my grace and my mercy and my forgiveness? Am I withholding forgiveness? See, a lot of times I think we think our relationships with people are okay because we aren't doing the bad things. Like, well, I'm not cheating on my spouse. I'm not beating on them. So bare minimum, cruise control, we're good, right? I'm doing the bare minimum with my friends. I'm doing the bare minimum with my small group. I'm doing the bare minimum to to be a likable, acceptable person. And a lot of times because we think we have avoided the bad things and we're not technically breaking our covenant commitments, we may yet to still be fulfilling them as well. So today, when we are comparing our life and our relationships <laughs> to the relationship with Jesus, I'm hoping that we make ourselves vulnerable to some parts of our life that need to change. It's okay to come to church on a Sunday morning and be challenged. It's okay to come to church on Sunday morning and realize there's parts of me that need to become more like him. And so the, the, the best kind of job description that I could find of what it means to be a person of covenant love and covenant commitment and to show Jesus to those who love me and those whom I love is found in the book of Colossians chapter 3. If you brought a Bible, turn to that with me. If not, it's going to be up here on the screens. But in this little passage, in these five verses, we're going to see what it means to go all out, to hold nothing back, to love the people in our lives, our family, our friends, our kids, our parents, our brothers, our sisters, our spouses, with a Christ-like love. I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive in. So Jesus, today, use me like I'm using this microphone. Just speak through me. I pray that our hearts are sensitive to the areas that you're going to be challenging us in, and that we wouldn't approach it with reluctant questions, Lord, we would approach it with urgent obedience, that there's relationships that need more of you in them. I pray that we walk out of here better friends, better family members, better spouses. In your name, amen. Colossians chapter 3, this is what covenant love is all about, and I'm still in Genesis There we go, Colossians chapter 3, all the way in the back of the book, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. See, this... This is some kind of step-by-step process of, of Christian love. It's something that's it's pretty holistic, right? Like that's something that's not just how you treat your spouse. It's not just how you treat your kids. That's how you treat the people you come in contact with. You see, it starts off by saying there's where's God's chosen people. Now, let me just kind of give you a disclaimer here. If you are invited here for the first time or may not be a Christian, you're just kind of checking things out. I know we get a bad rep in the in the Bible Belt thinking that we're better than people or we're holier than thou or we're Bible thumpers, but this word chosen doesn't actually mean anything as regards to if we think we're elite or not. 
The truth about Christianity is implicit in becoming a Christ follower is the recognition that I'm the scum of the earth, that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. So we don't think we're better. We just think Jesus is as good as it gets. And we think the life that he calls us to live is the most meaningful, purpose-filled, abundant, joyful life there is. That's what it means to be chosen. The Old Testament followers of God, the Hebrew nation, they believed they were chosen not to be better than the surrounding territories. No, they thought they were chosen to be ambassadors, to shine the light into the darkness. So what we're supposed to do here is we think about covenant love and covenant commitments. We are chosen not to be better. We're just chosen to love better. People on the outside of these four walls in Dawson County should be looking in and saying, man, what do they have that I don't even have in my own family? The love that these people have, the devotion they have, this generosity and the sacrifices they make for one another, that is supposed to just put Jesus on display. It's supposed to make this way of life attractive, almost irresistible. That's what it means to be chosen. It just means to be set apart and to do our best to love people. The way that Jesus loves us. So how do we live that life? Well, he begins to kind of lay it out in, in a sequential order almost, like step by step. This is how we live as people of the covenant. And he goes on to say, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. This, this sense of forgiveness and bearing with one another's grievances it's, it's, it's pointing us to more of a, a lifestyle than just an event. It, it means that I'm, I'm going to forgive all of the offenses. It means that I'm going to choose to trust God to be the one that settles the score. I'm not going to get revenge. I'm not going to withhold my love. Like the way I treat you is not dependent on the way that you treat me. There is an endurance implication here that with the word bearing with one another. It's not just a one and done type thing. And we live in this day and age where we talk about, man, if, if they're toxic, just cut them out of your life. We live in this day and age where if someone disagrees with you, obviously they hate you. If somebody has something that they've got to say that might be a little bit of a different worldview or a different opinion than you, then they can't have a different perspective without being against you. And guys, that's just a lie. We're supposed to be people that are thick-skinned, kind of easy kind of hard to offend us because of the grace that we have. So the way that we live life as, as chosen people isn't trying to be better. It's trying to love better. And the way that we love better is we've got a big reservoir of grace to pour out on. And where do we get that reservoir of grace? We've got to be always conscious of the amount of grace that God has extended toward us. Jesus himself said, if you've been forgiven much, you should be loving much. Guys, let's never get amnesia and, and forget about the fact that we need God's grace. Even when we do things that are good and right, it's only by his grace moving in and through us. So don't you realize we owe God for the good things that he enables us to do, and we owe God for the bad things that he forgives us of. And thank God that there's not an expiration or a limit on the forgiveness that he offers us. And in light of that, we should be generous with the grace that we're offering other people. And what it doesn't mean is you become a doormat to get walked all over and abused. We're going to talk about in a few minutes what it looks like to actually have some boundaries and some truth-telling and how to have hard conversations even inside of a grace-filled covenant relationship. 
But it talks about here in verse 13, bearing with one another, enduring the wrong, being quick to forgive, binding us together in unity. And if we do that, it says that, man, we're supposed to do that, verse 14, by letting the peace of God dwell in our hearts. Here's what I think about when I think about God's peace. It's a lot easier for me to have peace with people when I'm finding my peace from God. When I'm walking through life and just kind of going through the spiritual motions and just kind of like checking in with the Bible app or just kind of going through the motions or just praying a blessing before a meal, when things aren't really firing on all cylinders with me and God, it's funny how things tend to go off the rails with my relationships with other people. You know why this happens? When I'm not getting my connection and my intimacy and my fulfillment from the Lord, I begin to expect things that only God can give, and I place those expectations on the people that are in my life. And that's too big of a burden for a human to bear. There's no human that can die for the forgiveness of my sins. There's no human that can give my life purpose and meaning. That only comes from walking with God. And what I've seen is the the more intimate and more connected I am, the more likely I am to be intimate and connected with the people that God has placed in my life. So let's not place God-sized expectations on humans. Let's get that from that vertical relationship with Jesus so then we can love people freely. I think that's the only way that we can really be generous with grace and mercy and forgiveness is when we're basking in it and, and realizing how much we have access to in our walk with the Lord. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts so that it makes it more likely to have peace with other people. Now hear me. You may be coming here using faith as a last-ditch effort to change your marriage or to fix something in your life. And I'm, I'm, saying, I'm not saying just because you have peace with God means that you're going to have peace with, with, with humans. I'm just saying it makes it more likely to experience it because you're not expecting, them, expecting from them things that only come from God. At the end of the day, the only person we can change is the one that we're staring at in the mirror. You can't force peace in a relationship with a human. You can't force reconciliation in a relationship with a human. But if you're whole and centered in Jesus, it makes peace and reconciliation and healing so much more likely in relationships with people. Man, let the peace of God rule in our hearts. And he goes on to say, let the message of Christ. So he goes from the peace of Christ to the message of Christ. And this is what he says in verse 14. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. That word dwelling is not just like a place you visit when you're on vacation. I live in Forsyth County, and we just had uh, fall break. And so people were finding places to visit all over the place. We heard some of our friends went to Disney World and stayed in resorts. Some friends went to the beach. We went kind of cheap and went to Chattanooga and went to see the aquarium. We rented an Airbnb, a little basement apartment. It was a nice place to visit, a nice place to stay, a nice place to get refreshed and get a little bit of respite from the everyday life. My wife and our two kids, we had a great time. But that's not where I live. (laughs) That's not my dwelling place. Understand the power of the word that the author used here. The message of Christ, dwell among you richly. Church, I'm going to be honest, so often this book is a place that we visit. It's not a place that we dwell. We treat this like a hotel. It's a good encouragement when we're feeling down or depressed. It's a good place to get an escape from the real world, but it's not a home to us. 
The only way we can experience the peace of God, I believe, is by knowing the Word of God. And I'll even go so far as to say this. The only way we can truly experience covenant love is to know the terms of the covenant. And the, the terms of the covenant are all over the pages of this book. Friends, we've got to be opening up our Bible more than just on Sunday mornings. We've got to dwell in this thing. There is a principle that can lead you to a solution to every problem life can throw at you. God is always speaking. God has spoken. And the words documented on these pages are the words of God given to us. to Help us navigate through all the ups and downs of life. How can we know the terms of covenant love unless we investigate and read and get to know them for ourselves? How can we course correct? How can we remedy things? Like we said earlier, imperfect people create imperfect relationships. And guys, there are going to be problems. And there is room inside of a relationship to call things out, to say that's not okay. It's okay to say that. A covenant relationship doesn't just mean you turn a blind eye to abuse. It doesn't mean you just get walked all over. Every instance of grace where Jesus issued to a sinner in the New Testament, it was, it was accompanied by a truth about the changes that needed to take place in their life. And, and what, what does it say here in the very next verse, after knowing, after knowing the message of Christ and dwelling in that message, it says, when, we dwell among, when it dwells among us richly, we can teach and admonish one another with wisdom through psalms and hymns and, and songs from the Spirit. The book of Proverbs says that the right word at the right time is like precious gold. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do inside of a covenant relationship is to remind somebody of the commitments that they made when they entered into that friendship or they entered into that family or they entered into that marriage of you. It is okay to know what you're worth and to say, hey, the commitment we made, the bar is set up here. It's okay to set some boundaries and to not make yourself a victim in the name of, of covenant love. Showing someone grace, guys. It consists of both compassion and correction. And we need to be reminded of that in this day and age. We're so worried about being politically correct. We're so worried about offending people. Sometimes the most loving thing that you can do is be honest. But may we never present truth without grace. What kind of a doctor, what kind of a surgeon would withhold surgery because I don't want to hurt them and use that scalpel? Sometimes we've got to be willing to hurt each other to help each other. God disciplines those whom he loves. It's okay to communicate boundaries. It's okay to communicate an expectation of, hey, w w when we said yes, this is what we meant. And let's recenter around those commitments that we made as brothers, as sisters, as friends, as a couple, as parents. Parents, it's your house, your rules. I used to be a youth pastor. And I can't tell you how often parents would come to me and say, will you mentor my kid? Will you help my kid want to come to church? I, I just can't. Your house, your rules. Guess what? On Sunday morning, guess where we went? Church. No questions asked. I was more likely to, to get out of Monday school with a tummy ache than Sunday school, y'all. Grace and truth. Don't be afraid to be honest. Admonishment and teaching. <laughs> that's rooted in, a, in an awareness of God's word, terms of the covenant, can be something powerful and healing for your home, for your family, 
for your friends. I think what we have to do in those moments where there are tension, where there are conflicts, is enable something that I call the, the covenant cushion. And I'll explain what I mean here in verse 17. It says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So as we wrap up our time together, you might be replaying in your mind when an argument went wrong. And I know there's so many things leading up to this week where God wanted me to <laughs> live out this message before I preached it. And there's plenty of times where I failed it. I mean, I think my toddler has insomnia. And there are times at 3 in the morning where she wants to party and I just want to sleep where I'm just like, how do I respond in a godly way to this, my anger? Like, here's the thing that I've learned about covenant relationships. You can't change the way that you feel about people sometimes. When they're being unlovable, they just are unlovable, and you may have this righteous indignation. <laughs> it is okay to be offended. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to have a first impression. You can't always change the way that you feel, but if you use this covenant filter, whatever you say or do, do it in the name of Christ Jesus, you're able to set aside your feelings and do the right thing. So here's what the covenant cushion looks like. Ask yourself this question. When things are getting heated, give just a little bit of mental margin, this covenant cushion to say, is what I'm about to do or say consistent with the covenant? Is what I'm about to do or say as a dad, as a husband, as a friend, as a son, as a brother, is what I'm about to do or say, is it consistent with the covenant? Am I going to be doing this in the name of the Lord Jesus? Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. Guys, I believe that healing and reconciliation and the mending of broken relationships or difficult relationships is something that's possible inside your home, among your friends, in your workplace, in your marriage. But it's got to start Is what I'm about to do or say consistent with the covenant? Am I going to reflect and represent Jesus well in this exchange with someone who matters deeply to me? Guys, I'm preaching to myself first and foremost here. I get this wrong more than I get it right. But what I believe is when God's people decide to live up to this calling of the covenant, the atmosphere begins to change. We give God room to work in and through us. Don't be surprised if those prayers you've been praying for those loved ones, to have those light bulb moments, for them to start seeing something different when we decide to be that change, to be that source of covenant love. God wants to show off his love through you. God wants to change the people in your world through you. just wants to know if we're willing to love people like he does. If we're willing to look at our friends, our family, our neighbors and say, I do, even when you don't. I will, even if you won't. Let's see what God will do when we walk out of here putting these things into play. I'm going to pray and then the band's going to lead us in one last song. So Jesus, today, I think these next few moments of this song, don't let it just be another time of worship and a warm, fuzzy feeling. Lord, let us just ponder the areas of our life that need to look and feel more like covenant love. 
Help us to remember how much you loved us and how much you've forgiven us. And let us give us the grace and courage we need to extend that to others in our lives. Lord, just help us to take one step forward today. And this one last time of reflection, Lord, let us lean in close and hear what the Spirit has to say uniquely to each and every one of us. Lord, help us to not miss this moment. In your name.